This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Pam McKinley. Kia ora, Pam. Kia ora, Sam. Where are you, Pam? I'm in my living room in North East Valley, Dunedin. How was your bubble life? My bubble life. My bubble life, I rather enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am... Well, I, um, well, I, I still worked. Um, I still managed to. Uh, we had four people working at home for a while, so we all have a. We sort of segmented the house all over the place, and all had took up residence in a, a little home area. Um, but um, I think I liked it. Three o'clock every day, um, my son and I, we would go outside for a walk, and we just we just go and. The great thing about when you go outside is you, you know, you could hear all the birds. The birds were amazing during lockdown in our bubble. It was just great, you know. And other people were walking on the roads and there were so many people walking. I just loved it. Mm. It was particularly exciting. And it was exciting getting to know the neighbourhood in a way that we I just know. normally just charge on through. Yeah. And and sometimes there would be people that – there were some people that um, needed a bit of help and so people would just um, – you know, go and buy them food and leave it on their on their um, you know, on their doorknob, and you know, you just everyone just helped out. It was great. I mean, I just don't know. I just think that was kind of cool. But I particularly liked the the taking over the roads. So I think that was my favourite. You know, because everyone would have their two metre distance, which meant you're walking up the middle of North Road, and you could do so quite safely. <laughs> yeah, mm. it, was, it was, but it was kind of weird. I I've, I've talked about it on the show before. The day before the the main lockdown ended. We were walking over the hill down the middle of the road and we had this sort of like this realisation <laughs> that tomorrow we won't be able to do this. Yeah. Yeah, they took that away from Sam. <laughs> yeah, and we all rushed yeah. back to being busy. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I keep trying to remember that, that sense of, um, you know, that, there was a wee bit more balance, I felt, because, we, you know, we were all still working because we were all still working from home. We were probably working, you know, as much if not more because we you know because you're you're a teacher as well you sort of had we all had to keep our students kind of i don't know going but is also happy and balanced and sort of helping them with all that stuff as well and um um so just that support and i sort of work in publications so just kind of helping people remotely with all the stuff that they were doing um i don't know we just it were just you know, Zoom became our new best friend, didn't it? It did indeed. And you had four people working from home? Yes, we did. We had four people working from home, but my husband, um, Tom, is an essential worker, so eventually um, he went back to the office 
um, I think it was just a little bit too cosy, four of us in um, two rooms. Um, it was it was cosy when there was four of us in one room. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I before lockdown, I'm, I'm I'm a weaver, so I moved my loom into the shed out the back. Um, and I and I um, and I moved a loom into the living room, which um, behind me hasn't quite moved yet. And so I know I could sort of. You know, I could always sort of jump on the loom at kind of lunchtime, which you can't do when you're sort of down at the polytech, you know. I mean, I would if they'd let me bring one to work, but you can't. <laughs> yeah. Did you get those sorts of projects done? Oh, I've just had an exhibition where, I, um, where a lot of us were making work during lockdown and we've just had that exhibition. So one of the pieces took 220 hours to weave. And, you know, that might not have happened if it hadn't been for lockdown. Because it was like a bit of lockdown weaving madness. Mm. Ah, so not just not just baking and or most people couldn't bake because there wasn't any yeast. But presumably you could get what you needed for weaving. Um, well, I've been weaving for a while, so I've got a stash. <laughs> you know, you know, um, we we didn't have any. Well, we actually, for some strange reason, the quarry dairy did have yeast. So there are a lot of people in the Northeast Valley could bake. Um, they. But everyone just had to go to the quarry dairy to get their yeast, oh. you know. So, yeah. So it's you know all in the know. Exactly. And and, and I think everybody in Northeast Valley knew about that because of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a valley. We, so we had a valley. Um, we had kind of a valley bubble kind of Facebook group as well, which That's was so how cool. we found out how everyone was doing. You know. Yeah. It's so cool that you had a exhibition of things that of artworks that were produced during the the lockdown mm. well we were supposed to be we were supposed to have the exhibition last year um but um we got we got covid cancelled <laughs> <laughs> and then we got uh covid funding cancelled which was a which was a, a dreadful shame and then we sort of all had to go back on the kind of that hamster wheel for funding again and um yeah third third time lucky we actually managed to pull it off yeah. So the DCC came to our um, rescue this year and we um, had the community um, community gallery, which was just such a lovely space. OK, let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have the song put out by Heartbeat, which is a uh, music TV uh, station. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Bukrafi Mishmish. Why this one? Bukrafi Mishmish. Um I think it's very current. It's current for the um, Israeli-Palestinian crisis at the moment, and but it's also um, it's just such a, such a long story that one. But it, I think I was taught that that means the literal translation is tomorrow there were apricots, um, but actually it kind of means when pigs fly, you know. So um, it's actually a group of Palestinian and Israeli youth who make music together and um, they're hoping that their words can kind of have some impact on um, the peace in that region. But um, it's kind of based on this old um, Arab proverb, which I actually learned from Lebanon. Yeah. And it's a pretty cool video. It's a pretty inspiring video that they've put together. So oh, when, just when, when people just are finished listening to, this, listening to this, they should go and look at it on YouTube. Hey, 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 hey. And we're not finished, please. Hey, wow. We're not finished. 
teaching during lockdown what were you teaching oh no i was i was i was just helping um just helping with whatever needed doing i was um sometimes people just needed a help with getting people just that technical stuff <laughs> so um and um i'm on facebook a lot because i'm a sort of social media administrator and so sometimes you just actually that's just the easiest way to get hold of people um and then you get on the phone and you can actually talk them through, I don't know, how to set up a Zoom call or how to how to do this or do that. Or just talking them through, just, you know, just talking to people so that they can just have a, I don't know, face the day and kind of like get into Moodle or whatever it is they need to get into, you know. And just, you know, just to be an extra person out there that's kind of listening, I, I guess. Yeah. And this is at art school? At art school, yes. And um, so I sort of have many hats but my two main hats are working at the art school on websites and um, on facebook and then i sort of do publications for um, scope art and design in junctures and um yeah and then sort of sort of help out wherever else um you know my boss told me to go and help out <laughs> yeah how did the art students cope with a, a year of disruption and did it influence the the art that they produced over the year? Um, I, I don't know. I think 
from what I've seen, the well, certainly at the end of year, site was a really strong exhibition. I thought it looked really amazing. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't know that you know people have been locked out of this you know studios for so long. I mean, there were some amazing our technicians were amazing at kind of keeping people going and making kind of little home packs for people or you know to kind of make things with the teachers just were amazing the lecturers at kind of working out okay let's let's keep doing what we have to do but like what can we do and draw materials from our home to actually get this work done so obviously there was a, a, a big change in, in the work that was produced there but um um and I, I kind of think scarcity of resources is also sometimes a really um, great way to sort of, you know, that is a resource and it's what its own right for actually, um, you know, getting the old creativity going. Yeah. That's sometimes, scarce. you know, as an artist, sometimes you have, you either, you know, you have your create, you know, you have your resources, you have time, and sometimes you have money. And, and everyone always wants those three things, but very, very rarely does an artist have those three things. You know, you've either got a bit of money and some resources, but you don't have the time, or you've got the time and the resources, but you know you're drawing a blank. But you know, the it's it's just kind of having the time and the scarcity resources. I think was kind of wasn't a favourite for everyone. I think that some people really did struggle um, mentally, and that's kind of um, that was a that was a that was a really sad thing too. But um, and of course, there was there were some equity issues, I guess, in terms of um, you know a cell phone keeps you connected, but it isn't actually a device you can do your work on. Um, and I think that was really stressful for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. There was a nice quote from the Secretary of Education, whose name escapes me, right at the start of the pandemic, that said that she said that the in relation to just that, that um, how were they doing to making sure that all the kids were getting laptops? And she said, you know, was it fair that these rich schools had laptops and the, the, the poorer schools didn't? And she said that a, a pandemic doesn't create inequities, it just reveals them. Yeah, it's true. So true. Yeah. You're talking about scarcity of resources, and that's a big part of what you do well, at work, but also away from work. You, I know you put on a, or you curated a, um, an exhibition about climate change a couple of years ago this this is a this is a thing you you're involved in passionate about yes um well i've worked there's a i work in the art and science project um, and i've been involved in that for about seven years and for the past three years um, i've also kind of coordinated that project as well um and so the basic premise of that project is we kind of get maybe we call a theme we call a theme for um for the project and we'll get um, 30 scientists and 30 artists, and we all come together one night and do like a two-minute presentation about our ideas or our practice. We kind of speed date the scientists and the artists, and um, hopefully it works out slightly better than Married at First Sight in Australia, and kind of eight months later, we sort of all come back together for an exhibition. So that's kind of how it works, and... You know, we lose a few people along the way through kind of, you know, life's curveballs, you know. But, um, and, you know, in general, it's a pretty exciting project to be a part of. Um, we meet some, we've just done, um, our latest theme was Earth, um, as in Earth Sciences and Earth Processes. Um, so we've been working with um, a fantastic bunch of geologists this year from the University of Otago Geology Department. 
uh, marine science and GNS science. And um, yeah, it's yeah. We've just, so that's the exhibition that's just closed at the um, community gallery called Earth Court and Stone. But we learned so much um, about climate change from looking at our past um, and just all the minute things that are kind of locked in the stone, which is kind of where the, the title came from, um, because all of Earth's history is locked in stone. Yeah. I talked to, on Sustainable Lens, I talked to a woman whose name is completely escaping, Rachel Jacobs. I wonder if that's the right name. It's a name. Um, who did a work called Conserv... Um, Conversations with Trees, and she, um, it was her PhD thesis out of Nottingham, and she had some people look at a, a, you know, a spreadsheet of, of climate data um, and then came back a few weeks later and got them to, you know, did looking at that data change anything? And no, it didn't really. And then she worked with a group of artists who did um, several artworks that they put in a forest. Let's say it was Sherwood Forest because um, it was a Nottingham, so it might have been Sherwood Forest. Um, and they did things like they, they cut out the the carbon rings, burnt it out, these, out of these giant bits of paper, um, which were something about recording the sun somehow, and then they stacked them as if it was a tree. Um, and people came, and it was the same data, but just displayed in a very different way. And the impact that that had and how people engaged with that was entirely different to how people just engaged with the raw data. Yeah, that's that's kind of what we're trying to do in this project is that, you know, we basically, um, we kind of take take the story underneath the graphs, chuck the graphs away. So we're de- it's, we call it de-articulating. It's like, um, you know, we're articulating the data, but um, we it's finding the story that's in the, underneath the data, because um, everyone likes a nice graph. Um, as, as long as it's only got two axes, <laughs> but you know, there's only so many graphs you can take, and um, we need we need the scientists to kind of be always bringing us that fresh information and updating it because science is always changing. But um, but as far as climate change goes, you know, um, thanks for coming, thanks for bringing us the story. Um, you need some help to get that story across now, you know, and so. Um, so what we, we do is we have an exhibition, um, and um, but we also have a public program that works along that, which has got hands-on art-making activities. And the idea is that people come in, and um, so we have co-created community artworks where people actually um, help to make an artwork. And while they're helping to make the artwork, they're learning about the underlying science um, for whatever they're making, whether we've had, um, and what I've found in the past too is that people that help to make those artworks um, have a real sense of ownership over them. So, um, and they always ask when they're going, where's it gone? Where's it gone? Like, you know, where can we see it? So, I love the fact that people have helped to make something, they have their ownership over it, and it's also got, um, you've kind of had their attention for a while, and they've kind of engaged in that story of why they're making it. So um, in part of the, the, the artworks we make, sometimes, you know, there's a bit that you make and you take home, um, but the, and they're usually quite high quality things you get to take home. Some of them I've seen framed around the place, you know, my little Johnny made that and it's on the mantelpiece, but it's, um, and, but the other, the trade-off is you also have to add something to the community artwork. Um, 
So it's kind of, you know, a bit of give and take there, but um, um, and the other traders, you have to, um, you know, you have to listen to our two, you know, our two minute elevator pitches about whatever we're doing, you know, at the time, you know. Um, but another thing that we had in the art gallery was um, a work that I made with a student in BIT last year, um, which was um, some carbon dioxide sensors, um, which were um, just displaying a carbon dioxide readout in the room, but also um, I've got a visual carbon dioxide sensor, which um, is a which is an iceberg because everything I do is about ice or the oceans. Um, so the challenge with my iceberg is to keep it green, so that means it's you know a nice healthy carbon dioxide level in the room. And if it's red, if, if my iceberg is burning, there's something wrong. And so it's always a visual reminder to people that they have to take responsibility for something in the room, for some of the conditions in the room to um, get my iceberg back to some sort of green stability. And then, um, and so I've done that in a, a few places now, and um, it's lovely watching people take responsibility for looking after my iceberg, you know, opening windows, you know, bringing some air in, you know, just cooling my <laughs> iceberg down. And, um, and that's great. And then you say, right, when you leave this room, you have to go outside and do the same thing because, you know, carbon dioxide doesn't need a passport to travel, which I think Carl Sagan said. And, um, you know, we need to actually take that message outside into the big the big room outside, which has got no doors. Yeah. But, um, and we were building that. We had this another lockdown project, actually. <laughs> we were building that. And um, I was getting this data from, um, from the data readout from the student and it was going, you know, it was very exciting graph. It was a graph, it was doing this. And then at one stage it goes like this. And it goes up and it just said, oh, Henry, what's happening here? And he goes, oh, it was really boring, it was really boring. Nothing happened there. And he goes, well, I think you'll find I'm really interested in your trough, what was happening there? And he goes, oh, I just stuck it outside my window. And I said, oh, what was the reading at that point? He said, oh, 416. Okay, so in Mornington, outside Henry's window, in lockdown when there's no cars around, so I'm getting excited. It was 416 parts per million, which I find terrifying. So you know what that means. That's that's <laughs> a long way above 350. It's a long way above 350, but you know, for those so for those of us who sort of look at the um, the Guardian levels or the the ones you know, which are the ones that come from is it Mauna Loa and Hawaii? Um, you go, oh yeah, yeah, that, you know, but they've got a volcano over there, and it's mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's there's all kinds of things happening, and it's over there. But this was a very sensitive carbon dioxide sensor outside someone's bedroom window in Mornington during lockdown when there were no cars around. And um, this just brings it home, you know, I think. Yeah. So that, that's why I'm building um, iceberg carbon dioxide sensors <laughs> in my spare time now. <laughs> I'm going to get one and stick it on top of my car next. <laughs> yeah. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi araha nui ke koutou, I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful stars, and beloved universal. I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together has proven to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are, the triumph of nature's art. Perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you.
So it's been a very intense time for us all over the last more than a year. And of course we've developed lots of new skills, conscious and unconscious and subconscious. And I'm sure ushered forth many skills which were waiting in the wings to be appreciated by ourselves and all the life forms that surround us that we're co-evolving with in an infinite web. And I am so grateful for this time with you that I've had over this time, these five minutes with you have helped me so much immeasurably over this time. And I really appreciate the support of Sam and the whole Blind Bubbles team and all of your support in this time with you. Thank you. So I know that as we head into a cooler, darker time, we've had our very exciting blood moon, super moon. How wonderful. And of course, for all of us, like the blood red super moon, beautiful moon, of course, we're moving through phases of darkness and light and waxing and waning and fullness and obscurement and brilliance, all of these different phases. And all of these different phases are so valuable and, in my opinion, never wasted. I think for me, more and more, I'm realizing that it's important to wait until a vision, a feeling, a knowing is fully realized within before it can burst forth into the external universe. And of course, we see this reflected so much in the natural world that life is gestated for a certain period and then comes forth at the right time, is born into the world at the right time. And I was very premature. I was two months premature. So it could be that innately there's this desire to spring forth into the universe and over this last year I've really enjoyed more and more consciously allowing myself to take my time to let my ideas and my inspirations be felt and of course this is a great luxury when we can do this and we have that opportunity to take some time to really respect our own creative journey without having to force anything out into the universe before it's ready. So I really hope that for you, over the last more than a year, you have really enjoyed finding new ways to support and nurture yourself creatively for the great work that you're doing every moment. And also finding new ways to allow yourself to take the time that you need. And of course, not only that, but understand that for all of us, we have shared and we are sharing a very challenging time. And so in our previous lives, things may have been more straightforward. And in fact, now it's so important that we give that kindness into ourselves. We give ourselves time and space to feel and process in place and is taking place. So I really hope that that time and space is available for you and for those you love. And I'll look forward to talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Pam McKinley. Pam, about this time last year, we talked to somebody on the Isle of Skye in Scotland who described his car as doing two months to the gallon. Because they, they, they weren't using the car at the time. I presume they are using it again. <laughs> but your car is doing a lot more than that because it doesn't take petrol because you are the EV queen. Uh, <laughs> I'm, an, I'm, I'm an EV angelist. <laughs> Why is yes. that? 
Well, um, about six years ago, we, uh, we, we bought in a car that you only have to put electrons into rather than petrol. And um, about two weeks later, I thought, oh, my God, this is just the best thing. Why does no one know about this? And so we kind of set about kind of changing that, not knowing about it. I think four weeks after I owned an electric car, I got hold of Kristen Bracey at the Otago Polytechnic. Said, let's hold a public meeting called Charge Up Dunedin and um, get some charging infrastructure. And so um, it's all her fault. She started me off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Showed me how to book a room. And then you kind of, you know, you put the, put the word out and suddenly you've got 50 people there kind of really interested in Dunedin having its first charging infrastructure. So um, I was really lucky that um, ChargeNet from Auckland actually came down for that meeting. I didn't know anything about them at the time. People said, oh, you need to talk to Steve West. I went, who's Steve West? Why do I need to talk to him? But um, I soon found out that you need to talk to Steve West, and he's a great guy. And um, he's um, he's the guy that's been basically put his personal fortune into our charging infrastructure in New Zealand. Um, now with a little bit of help from the um, I don't know, Sun Green Fund. But, yeah. So Dunedin's doing but, quite well yeah. in, in terms of electric vehicles, isn't it? Oh, yes. So for two years running, running we've been the um, per, head of, per head of population. We are the EV capital of New Zealand. Um, obviously, we don't have as many EVs as some place like Auckland, but per head of population, um, we've still got the title. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it's quite good. Yeah, it's quite good. Yeah. What percentage mm. is that? Um, it's still not great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like like we're still we're still nowhere near like two percent or anything ridiculous but we're still i think we're up to about 920 it's, it's not it's not it's not great yeah but it's it's we, we've got the title people kind of tell us once a year we've got the title and go thank you very much you know you've got more people take the title of us go on and so i guess it's just that challenge every year um there's um with the energy conservation authority have kind of um, you know, EV champions, um, the Better New Zealand Trust and a whole bunch of other people have EV champions and sometimes they're all the same people but um, or person. But um, I don't know, we sort of, we get out there and we talk to people. The, the best thing you can do to kind of, um, you know, tell people about EVs is actually just take them for a ride in one. And because um, I think people have a fear about them, you know, they get asked some really interesting questions. Um, I would say that no question's too dumb, but, you know, can you drive your car in the rain is getting close? Um, yes, you can is the answer. <laughs> so, um, but most people kind of get an electric car and go for a ride, and they, the first thing they go is, well, well it's just like a car. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I'm not quite sure what they're expecting, <laughs> but it's just like a car, it's just the fuel is different, you know. I think I'd always, I'd probably always wanted one, and then I booked the Polytech one out to go out to the airport or somewhere. And at the first moment of driving it, I knew that the next car we, we bought was going to be an EV. Yeah. So we, yeah, I I can't book, I could bore you for, for, for years about electric vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've probably bored the people on Access Radio enough about them already because uh, Leslie's had me on before. <laughs> but, yeah, so, um, yeah, no, um, they they do everything, you know, they do everything a car does because they're a car. 
So there's there's no magic there, you know. That, that the thing that also surprised me uh, when we got an electric car was how much money you saved. I wasn't expecting that. Um, we sort of got an electric car for kind of climate change reasons, just to stop burning fossil fuels. But um, the I was I was that was the other thing I couldn't believe how much money we saved. We were probably spending between eighty and a hundred dollars a week and on petrol because you know we had you know music here, music there, sport. You know, you just that mad run around you have, which I, you know, we've somehow got ourselves into and need to get ourselves out of. But um, so, you know, I'd be saving about three and a half grand of petrol, you know, a year, which is a lot of money, mm. you know. It's, it's, and and also um, the other thing was there's, there's not much maintenance to them. So yeah. um, double, yeah. double saving because, you know, the, the mighty Toyota Corolla was kind of, you know, costing us quite a bit to keep on the road as well. Do you think we're close to a tipping point? Um, I think we are now because there's more there's more um, variety in the cars that are available and the range is getting bigger. Um, you still get people that go, oh, I'm not going to buy an electric car until, you know, you can get drive 500k in them. But, you know, you can buy a couple of cars in Dunedin that will do 475k. And the you know, New Zealand Transport Authority would actually like you to stop you know, every hour, if not every two hours, and have a wee driver refresher or a driver reviver break. And and in that time that you're having your cup of tea and your sticky bun, you know, you're sticking a few electrons in your car, you know, it's doing you both good, isn't it? Yeah, we happily yeah. drive we happily drive to and from Timaru, stopping for a cup of tea at Vanessa's in Hamden. Oh, it's great there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I leave Timaru a bit later because I actually want to go to the fish and chip shop. Because they do great fish and chips there. Just the best. Yeah. Hamden. It's all happening in Hamden. Mm. Let's attack. They have a nice beach. They do. That's what we did last time. Yeah. Let's. We had a three-year-old with us so a beach was happening. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have you've picked another one that's hard to say. (laughs) Ludivicio what's that? I can't even read my own writing. Einaudi? Innuendi? Yes. Very good. Very good. Well done. I think that's what it is. The Earth Prelude.
grand piano playing it. It was beautiful. Cool. But this one's happier. The other one's sadder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we've got the happy one. I was going for happier, slightly happier. Yeah. We have seen lots of changes in society over the the past year. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Um, well, I think before lockdown, um, the thing that was most exciting to me was whether were the young voices that were being heard from the climate change, this climate strike um, people. Um, and I go to a lot of meetings with a lot of people that make a lot of decisions about energy and energy usage. And um, not all of them are green energy managers. A lot of them are people that, for example, New Zealand Oil and Gas, that are particularly interested in like building pipelines in the South Island for their product, or you know, interested in drilling off the coast of Dunedin. And so I find myself in interesting positions, and I love the fact that the thing that really gets in their craw is that their social license is being eroded by those young voices. So my great hope is that those young voices continue to be loud and strong and proud, and in a couple of years' time, they're all going to be voting. So I think that is the change. We just need to um, watch those young voices coming through and actually give them give them a space to move in and actually make decisions in because it's their future. And we're, we've been selling it short and discounting future just, you know, those future generations. Um, and, you know, that that is just not fair. <laughs> yeah. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for those bigger sorts of questions that we've been talking about, things like climate change or, or biodiversity collapse or social injustice? I'm not sure about that one. One of the things I've been thinking about because it's just um, I've had a I've had an intern recently who was looking at leadership during the pandemic, um, and they were only looking at kind of CEOs. And I think there are other forms. Again, I think there are other forms of leadership, and um, I'm a great believer in actually leadership coming from within the ranks and actually um, filtering up. Um, and I think people actually holding their leaders to account is actually um, something that we all need to do more of as well. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to be quick through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? All the biggest success I've had. <laughs> um, oh, I've just published a book. Have you? Yes. What's it well, on? well it get, it'll come back from the printers on Monday. So on Monday, that will probably be my biggest success. <laughs> What's it called? Oh, it's actually, well, it's actually, I've published it. It's, it's written by my um, dear old friend, Peter Stupples, and it's about another old friend, Neil Grant. And they're both in their 80s. And um, we made a book. So and I'm very happy that I made it happen. And it's really beautiful. Awesome. <laughs> so I'm very proud of it. Mm. So both of those people have worked at the art school, haven't they? So, yeah. Um, Peter was um, a lecturer in art history. And Neil Grant is, I think he's 81, maybe 80, 2082 this year. He's still there. Oh, wow. He's like an he's emeritus um, lecturer in ceramics. and. Um, He's like this walking encyclopedia of everything to do with clay or uku. He's amazing. 
Awesome. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're in the team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Um, probably helping people. I don't know. I don't know. That's a pretty good superpower. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's just Do all you... the little things. Just picking up those pieces. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, staunchly moderate activist. <laughs> staunchly moderate activist. Well, you if see, you're... you know, in 1981, you had your frontliners, didn't you? And your, and your protesters. And then you had the people that were 10 rows back. But then the people that were 10 rows back had to bail out the people who were in the front <laughs> line later on that evening. So, you know, there's a method in that madness. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, Got to make things. Yeah. I know, I like making things. Yeah. Mm. So I've always got something to make, whether it's... You know, I'm really lucky in my job. It's very creative. I get I get to make books for my job as well, of course. Um, but I'm always, I have a lot of kind of, I only work part-time, so I have a lot of time to work on other projects, um, which is why I get to bore people, you know, for years about electric vehicles <laughs> on a daily basis um, and um, why I get to work with such awesome um, scientists and um, uh yeah, so the two the two areas I mostly work on um, are sort of cryosphere. So, you know, our frozen dams of water, which we all care about for powering our phones into the future, and ocean acidification. So what does two degree what does two degrees warming look like in our backyard? And, you know, and um, just looking at particularly the phytoplankton, because you know, every second breath we take was made in the ocean. Everyone kind of wants to save the Amazon, but nobody wants to save the ocean. So yeah. It all happens in the Moana. And it's especially a good place to swim, if you ask me. What is the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I, I've, got, I've got quite a big garden out the back of our house, but I, I tend to have too many projects, and I keep having this idea that I'd slow down a bit and tidy up my garden, because you know, at one point in my life, um, before I went back to work, it looked really good. <laughs> and I keep thinking it could look that good again. Maybe when I'm 65, yeah. I Just before the lockdown, I was sitting right here looking at the windowsills thinking I really should re-varnish those and went out on that last day before we had, before it was lockdown and bought a big tin of varnish to do the windowsills. And I haven't done it yet. You've done them? No. <laughs> no, I've used the varnish <laughs> for something else. I, um, But I think one of the lessons that we can take from the pandemic is that be kind applies to ourselves as well. That We need to yeah. be not so hard on ourselves yeah i think the thing that you know actually this one of the things that does drive me a little bit is um the idea that we've only got nine years to kind of like sort this out a wee bit a wee bit just just a wee bit so you know i figure i'll give it nine years and then you know pass pass the baton because oh if i give it everything i've got for nine years then i won't have any regrets you know but um just that's kind of, I know, I guess where I've kind of come from, you know. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? <laughs> uh, cup of tea is never wasted. Always sit down and have a cup of tea with people. I think that's the best advice I've ever heard. Cup of tea is never wasted. Yeah. It's amazing what you can achieve over a cup of tea. My advice yeah. to people is that you can never say no to a cup of tea. That's good advice too. 
Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you. That's been a pleasure. You know, these days, I think everybody is concerned about the environment and what we can all do to be a little bit greener. You mean like this? John, green doesn't mean the color. It's a behavior adjustment to help out the earth. Things like turning off lights and recycling and driving electric cars. Exactly. Hey, is that color going to wash off? What color? Electric car on roads so dark to change the end, rewrite the start. Electric car so good so far. Electric car on verdant green, invent a turn, invent a dream. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution from Tahu McKenzie. This is They Might Be Giants electric car. I'm Samuel Mann and so is Bay Dunedin and I've been joined by Pam McKinley in North East Valley Dunedin. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.